Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Stephen Alexander. And I'm Jason Thompson. Hi, Jason. So we are moving on with the third part of Ultimate Doom. We've had two parts already. Jason, I'm going to dump you in it and ask you to briefly recap what has happened in parts one and two of the Ultimate Doom. Well, the Decepticons have brought about the Ultimate Doom. That's about it, isn't it? More than that. You want more than that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's there's two elements to it. Um... An evil genius scientist, Dr. Arkerville, has developed hypno-chips that control humans and he's turned Sparkplug into a mindless slave and Megatron has succeeded in his plan to bring Cybertron into Earth's orbit and harvest the energy released by the disasters that happen if you stick a planet next to another planet unexpectedly. Okay, if this is your very first episode of Robots in Your Eyes, please don't ask us to tell us tell you who Sparkplug is, what Cybertron is, any of that. You know, just go with it. It's going to be great. You'll love it. Right, so let's get cracking on the actual episode itself. We've had the main issues, yep. And the cliffhanger was Sparkplug had found the Autobots on Cybertron who had snuck off to Cybertron in order to find Sparkplug, which sounds like it's going to be good because Sparkplug's the person they went to see. But unfortunately, Sparkplug is still under the control of the Decepticons. And so he sounds the alarm. Uh, and Spike gets all very weepy about his dad being under the control of the, the Decepticons, which is it's very sad for him, isn't it? Oh, it is very sad. But Sparkplug does manage to get out the words, forgive me, so we know that he's still in there somewhere and he's worth saving. Yeah, there's still a chance, isn't there? Um, I, the, the mind control chip is it seems to it seems to go on and off a bit. It's it's sometimes it's very effective and sometimes it's not. But we're we're straight into the action with episode three. Um, Bumblebee, who's one of the crew accompanied onto the uh, onto Cybertron, uh, runs straight into Shockwave's crotch, and they're in a huge amount of trouble because there's loads of Decepticons coming, uh, loads of um, Decepticon jets who we think are all on Earth, but seem to be on Cybertron as well. Yeah, and Soundwave as well. And Soundwave as well, yeah. So uh, the Decepticons are busy. They're obviously uh, doing a lot of ferrying about. They've got a space bridge, haven't they? They've still got the space bridge. They have got the space bridge. Maybe they're just popping back and forth now and then. Um, but before, yeah. the fight, before the fight begins, uh, there's time for a bit of comedy, which dates this quite horrendously now, uh, when Braun says, I don't suppose I could interest you in a magazine subscription. <laughs> Now, of course, in the middle of the 1980s, door-to-door salesmen offering magazine subscriptions and encyclopedias. That was the the, the comic favourite, wasn't it? Encyclopedias. Oh, yeah. Commonplace, but now, phew, now you don't get that anymore. No, no, you can't You can't shift magazines. Go to WH Smiths and they, they, they can't get rid of them. Indeed. But then the, the, the fight begins and it's a bit once. Braun takes out all of them, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah throws Skywarp and Thundercracker away and Soundwave and knocks them down for the count. And then Shockwave attempts to shoot Spike and Braun takes the shot and then picks up a convenient large girder that's just fallen from the ceiling for no readily apparent reason and charges at Shockwave with it. And Shockwave just shoots it and it melts in Braun's hands, which is 
weird. <laughs> that is weird. I, it doesn't seem to hurt Braun, though. Braun has, has become super-powered this episode. Either yeah. that, or, or he's really been hiding his light under a bushel for the last uh, 15 weeks or however long it's been. But then suddenly another door opens and Skyfire and a bunch of other Autobots turn up to, to turn the tide of battle. Though Braun seems to be doing very well on his own, frankly. We, we don't need Wheeljack and Trailbreaker to help. We, we've got Braun. At some point, though, Sparkplug has lost his favourite wrench because that's not seen or referenced in this episode. So um, sad moment for Sparkplug's wrench, which, uh, which is never seen again. And then the battle, such as it is, is finished when almost all the Autobots run out. They have to leave Sparkplug behind because <clears throat> he's, you know, still not on their side yet. Uh, Skyfire is apparently having trouble with the size of the door and Shockwave, well, Shockwave triumphantly says, you cannot get out, turns into a large gun and then blows a larger hole in the wall that Skyfire can get out of. Well done, Shockwave. I, I'm sure it's the logical thing to do. Yes, he didn't do very well the last time the Autobots turned up on Cybertron either, back in Roll for It. He just sort of watched them go past him twice and didn't manage to stop them then. In the comics, Shockwave was a force to be reckoned with. In the comics, he was a logical commander. At some point, he was full-on leader of the Decepticons. Everyone respected and awed Shockwave. In the cartoon, he's, he's he, frankly, he's incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is sad, considering he's he's one of the coolest looking, and yeah, in the comics, uh, a rival to Megatron. There we go. He's just shock. He's a Cybertron's guardian, and he's not really very good at it. He's not good at it at all. No. Autobots can come and go as they please, apparently. Yeah, but to be honest, you only notice these things if you're watching this to do a podcast and taking lots of notes, because we're actually about twelve seconds into the episode here. <laughs> There's a huge chase with loads of explosions, return of the lovely um, tetrahedral jets, which are chasing our Autobot pals. Skyfire gets to say deceptive bum, which is <laughs> the first. I, I don't know. Shall we bleep that out? I don't think it's necessary to bleep that out. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get chased by these weird little drone cars that make a noise like they haven't got any wheels because they're just sort of scraping along going... We don't know much about the drone cars. Uh, they, they could be Transformers. They could be, actually, what they said they are, drone cars. They're obviously very frightened of them because uh, they, they have to go and run and hide in Wheeljack's workshop. Weirdly, Spike recognises them as well, despite never having been to Cybertron before today. Um... Ah, maybe maybe Chip told him about them. Maybe Chip saw them in an unseen way, because he's been to Cybertron. And he's maybe mates with true. Spike. Maybe he did. Maybe they had a chat off screen over a Coke or something. And Wheeljack's, Wheeljack's laboratory, Spike is in awe at how orange Wheeljack's laboratory is. It is a sea of pure orange walls with orange panelling and orange buttons Wheeljack to press. That's how you know it's an Autobot room. They love their orange. Yeah, there's not much orange on Cybertron, which is so it's making it clear the Decepticons are winning. And uh, Bumblebee gives Wheeljack the disc. Oh, what kind of disc is it? It's, it's, is it a compact disc? It's not terribly compact. It's bloody huge. It looks more like a laser disc. <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, we're early eighties, aren't we? So it'll be a laser disc. And uh, Wheeljack is very impressed with our, our conductive jip with hypnotic properties. Diabolical, he declares. My my favourite bit of that is that when he's going, we've got to figure out what kind of hold the Decepticons have over these human slaves, and then Spike hands over the disc, and he went, "Mind control, of course." <laughs> what do you think it was? <laughs> Uh, but then we go back to Earth for one of the coolest 
most random things ever, this series of Transformers. The Autobots are surfing! (laughs) Surf's up, dude. Yeah, there is no reason, no reason for the Autobots to be surfing. They had hydrofoils a few weeks ago, so they could drive along the top of the sea in car mode, except for the fact that I think these days Optimus Prime will go along with any plan or suggestion, so long as it's cool. Which is fair enough, really. Um, And uh, they detect something behind them. It's a gigantic tidal wave, uh, because at this point, Cybertron is pulling the Earth's tides and causing earthquakes and creating tidal waves, which is almost geologically sound. Prime sees the tidal wave behind them, says, that's also cool. We're going to use that to take us into Megatron's camp. It sounds like an awesome idea. We're not supposed to think too hard about how he knows where Megatron's camp is or what they're doing, uh, or how quickly Megatron has built this massive sea funnel, which is going to funnel the tidal wave into the energy collectors. Even before the arrival of uh, certain construction-themed robots, the Decepticons seem very good at building stuff. So they they built the massive sea funnel, uh, which, yeah, they're going to capture the power of a tidal wave in the sea funnel, which that's a very good idea. That should work, shouldn't it? But Dr. Arkerville has concerns. He does. Dr. Arkerville is somewhat concerned because there's a large slave labour force there and they're all going to drown when the tidal wave hits. Unsurprisingly, Starscream doesn't give a monkeys. No, none of the Decepticons do. Who cares what happens to slaves? Uh, And he also takes the opportunity to pronounce Dr. Arkerville's name very clearly. So there is no doubt it is Arkerville. And there's no excuse for the DVD menu to say Dr. Octaville. (laughs) So yeah, so that upsets anyone talking to Starscream obviously upsets Megatron. There's kind of some kind of jealous rivalry going on there. So Megatron tells Arkerville to avoid any contact with Starscream. So, naturally, Arkerville decides that Starscream would be his best ally. Yes, why Megatron thought that telling uh, an evil, mad scientist, genius, human betrayer of his own kind not to do something would actually lead to him going, oh, all right, fair enough, I won't. Who knows? <laughs> yes. I'm also doubting Arkerville's... I'm, I'm doubting his ability to judge character if he's chosen Starscream as an ally. That seems like a terrible move. Have you met Starscream? Lord. <laughs> Well, there's a tidal wave incoming, so there's no time to worry about alliances. And it looks like the plan's actually working. They're generating energy by the astroliter. So as we've decided previously, that could be literally any amount. But the tidal wave also brings some other people into the fray. Who does it bring in? It brings in the Autobots, who are surfing a tidal wave into a sea funnel and don't seem to have considered that this might not lead to the dignified, dramatic (laughs) entrance (laughs) they were hoping for when they basically get smashed against the rocks by the tidal wave. Yes. Optimus Prime suddenly realises that it's not going to be cool. And uh, consequently, the Autobots are never seen surfing again. No, indeed. They learned their lesson, clearly. After this embarrassment. Although Ironhide seems to be none the worse for wear and is itching to give Megatron a nickel-knuckle sandwich... (laughs) (laughs) that's got to be the line of the episode (laughs) I do love it when every so often they'll throw in random chemical elements um, just to be sophisticated and sound scientific at least with nickel it makes sense in a previous episode I think was it Sunstreaker was complaining he had selenium shin guards okay selenium is not a useful compound material for that at all (laughs) (laughs) okay so what is selenium useful for I'll bite on that one (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's selenium what? selenium 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 it wasn't going to be a chemistry lecture but basically it's a bit more like sulfur than any other metal it's a metalloid 
Um, it has basically no strength whatsoever. You won't, you wouldn't use it as a guard. <laughs> oh well, that's a shame. Yes, but yeah, nickel knuckle sandwich. That sounds like heroic nonsense to me. And ready to give Megatron a nickel knuckle sandwich. The Autobots do their Autobot business and they rescue the humans from the smashed up power plant. So that's a very big positive for the Autobots. It is, but it comes straight after their usual negative of arriving just in the nick of time to see the Decepticons sodding off with all the energy that they wanted. (laughs) This this has happened. Like, I've just been reviewing some some of our previous episodes and the number of times the Autobots have turned up a bit too late and the Decepticons have loads of energy is now bordering on the ridiculous. They have really got to get their act together because I, I cannot. I, I don't even know if I want to. I, I don't even know if I want to watch this series if the Autobots are going to mess up this badly. So Wheeljack informs Prime that he has a plan to rescue the slaves, and uh, he decides that he's going to field test his plan on Spike's dad. But that's that's fine because you know Spike's dad. He's been through so much trauma already. If the you know if, if Wheeljack's invention doesn't work and drives him nuts. No one's going to notice. Who's going to notice? Who's going? Who's going to care? You know, <laughs> Spike is the one we actually care about. Spark yes. the boring grown-up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be fine. Wheeljack knows what he's doing. There's a nice little bit of not quite toy accuracy, but toy-related activity going on when Spike infiltrates Decepticon HQ and is lit up by a bright light, which is emanating from Shockwave's chest. Yes. Now, although Shockwave doesn't have a light in his chest in the toy form, he does have lights and sounds. He does make gun sounds, and his hands and gun barrel light up. Um, so he doesn't have a che- he doesn't have a chest light, but he does have a clear panel with some detail behind it on his chest. So it could conceivably have a light there. It's terribly bright, and uh, Spike is like a rabbit in the headlights. Uh, it's a shame that Shockwave didn't actually make the toy noise when his chest lit up. <laughs> so i hang on hang on spike's creeping around on cybertron and shockwave finds him why has spike been let off on his own well why wouldn't you why wouldn't you let a small human wander around cybertron in a, you know in a hostile environment surrounded by evil decepticons that want to wipe out humanity yeah. Fortunately, Wheeljack and the Autobots are right behind him. Sparkplug's with Shockwave, and he commands Sparkplug to kill his own son with a little gun that he happened to have. And with a wonderful line, destroy the small human. That's oh, brutal. So yeah, so again, piling on the trauma here. But fortunately, yeah, as I say, Wheeljack and the Autobots arrive, and Wheeljack's machine works perfectly and counteracts the Decepticon's mind control. Sparkplug is free at last. He is indeed, and Shockwave very obligingly stands around at the side while they have a conversation about how great it is to be back. Um, and then yeah. up comes Brawn again. Yay! So it is ama- Brawn zaps Shockwave, and then my favourite part for Brawn is they're running to escape, and he says, I'll get the door, and just runs straight through it without stopping. <laughs> That's classic Brawn, that is. Uh, Spike says, uh, Dad, everything's all right now, which is probably a bit premature because there's still a big list of things that are not all right really yes like the army of decepticons that are attempting to blast them minor inconveniences like that (laughs) That, that's their immediate problem the earth being destroyed by cybertron's orbit megatron getting all the energy on he wants but everything's going to be all right because spike's got his dag back so yeah so they go through brawn's the opening that brawn has made i just carefully changed what i was going to say there (laughs) (laughs) 
Please do. This is a family podcast. That's what we're aiming for. <laughs> Skyfire blasts the Decepticon gun emplacement and ferries them away into space and back to Earth. And they have they have a nice little chit chat while they're on board Jetfire. <laughs> Skyfire on the way home. <laughs> Whoops. Sparkplug thanks them for rescuing, especially Spike and all the good that he did. And Spike says, Dad, it's like you taught me. You never quit on the people you love. And this makes me think, this makes me think about poor old Mrs. Sparkplug. I mean, did did Mr. Sparkplug quit on her at any point? Is she still around? Is she actually still there all the time, but just doesn't get involved in the adventures? You know, is she bringing them sandwiches and whatnot in the arc? I do know that in the production notes, it casually states that uh, Sparkplug is a widower. But I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that Mrs. Sparkplug is there and she's got an amusing car-based name of some variety <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and, that, and that she is involved somehow, just, just off screen. You never quit on the people you love, but as Braun says, it's mushy but true. <laughs> he does. And he gives Bumblebee oh. a look. Oh, yes. <laughs> those, two are, those two are, you know, they're, they're like that. Yeah, well, I don't know. This is an audio podcast. You can't see me, so it doesn't matter what I just did. <laughs> yeah, don't do it again. <laughs> so we cut to the next obvious location, which is a really nice looking tropical island somewhere. They, they do like their different locations in this series. They they like their variety of backdrops. It's coastal areas, cities, tropical islands, mountains. And the great thing is they're really good at drawing them. The, the the All the different backdrops, whenever they go somewhere different, you always get a really gorgeous establishing shot and then you get all the backgrounds look fantastic. And on board this, on this nice tropical island, Megatron is loading up a starship with Energon cubes. It's all he ever does. And this is much better, much better than sending five cubes at a time to Cybertron in a jet cockpit, isn't it? This is going to be much better. Yeah, there, there's no way this could possibly go wrong. This is uh, this is definitely the way to do it. Yeah, highly explosive Energon cubes, all stacked together in one place. This is winning plan. Come on, Megatron. Yeah, that, that's it. It's all over for the Autobots now. They might as well go home. Yeah, yeah. Well, they haven't gone home. They're on the island. They're right there. So <laughs> um, they found him via Teletran 1, probably, in Sky Spy. And uh, as a surprise to the Autobots, Mirage is also with them. And he offers to spy on the Decepticons using a special power of invisibility, which, yeah, I, there's a classic problem with Autobots forgetting they can do stuff. And Mirage, his invisibility is so useful. So he could do all the spying. Yeah, my, the my theory on that is that Mirage's invisibility bites him in the bum sometimes and he gets left behind. But because he's invisible, they can't find him. And no one's told him where they're going. So that's why he's either there invisible in the background on some of these things, or they just forget that he's he's, he's lost somewhere because he went invisible and they lost track of him. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that, that sounds entirely plausible. There is a whole, in the comics universe, uh, probably extended beyond the 80s, there's a whole interesting universe of ideas of what happens with Mirage and how he can't decide if he's a Decepticon or an Autobot and he's sort of somewhere in between and he doesn't know. And there's some really interesting stuff going on. Not in the car not in this cartoon though, particularly. No. He just he just turns invisible and has a has a posh voice. So yeah, so he offers to spy. How does the spying go? I'm not sure he achieves all that much, really, although he does appear to somehow turn around all the slaves. They start walking out of the ship instead of loading up the energon cubes, not quite sure. Then he drops his invisibility and stands in the doorway and gets shot. 
<laughs> so not the best spying mission. Not not really, no. But it does get the slaves away, which is what the Autobots wanted, because that's what was stopping them from doing a full a full on I nearly said full frontal there. <laughs> <laughs> a full frontal assault. No, that's absolutely fine. You can say that, Jason. That's the one, yes. Yes. I should also mention uh, that while this has been going on, Starscream has prepared his own plan to uh, collect a million Energon cubes, and that is to wire up a small battery to Dr. Arkerville's brain and harness all his immense mental power. And rather pleasingly, he gets really annoyed because he doesn't get any energy at all out of uh, Dr. Arkerville's brain. Jason... I'm going to ask you a biology question, which may not be your key area, but do you think there's much electricity in the human brain? <laughs> not enough to power anything the size of Starscream, never mind planet. So, no. Yes. <laughs> brain as a battery. Okay, brains, not made good batteries. Going to work. I mean, the, the nerves, nervous impulses are essentially electrical currents because um, they do involve the movement of ions across membranes and things like that. But no, your brain is not a battery. But Starscream's uh, tactical brilliance shines through still further in that having taken Dr. Arkerville to do this clever little experiment that he's doing on the quiet, he's decided to take Dr. Arkerville to the exact same tropical island that Megatron has gone to, rather than literally anywhere else in the world maybe even his own headquarters, you know, something like that. Um, and unsurprisingly, Megatron stumbles across them. And everyone's surprised at this. It's like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's a very predictable train of events. And uh, Megatron actually declares that Starscream has committed mutiny and that the penalty for mutiny is termination. And what a surprise, because Starscream has never been mutinous before up to this point. <laughs> and Megatron's feeling really betrayed, because if there's one person you can trust in the world, it's Starscream. It's Star his loyal lieutenant, Starscream. What a letdown, what a letdown. And he's just about to shoot Starscream once again, when Skywarp realises that the slaves are now coming out of the ship. And we're back with Mirage, who uh, who's getting shot in the busy getting shot in the back. By Rumble, I mean, how embarrassing. <laughs> yeah if you're going to get shot you want to get shot by one of the big guys not by rumble yeah at least at least one of the jets or sound sound waves good for shooting in the back but rumble that's just pathetic prowl prowl suggests that they retreat at this point because mirage has been taken down but prime really doesn't care about mirage and decides that now is the time to attack he also realizes that something bad's going to happen the next time cybertron goes around the planet Yes, apparently Cybertron's next orbit will tear the Earth apart. Yeah, unlike the previous orbits, which have been tearing the Earth apart, but the next one will definitely tear the Earth apart. Absolutely. Uh, although, it has to be said, the, the image of Cybertron in the sky is quite stunning. Oh, yeah. It's a lovely piece of animation. Yeah, and all the all the extra effects you get with sort of the tidal waves and the blowing wind and so on and so forth looks fantastic. So it's worth it. It's worth yeah. it. They are speculating on whether they can take on the Decepticons, which at this point I'm assuming they've got Megatron, Starscream and Rumble because we've just seen everyone else on Cybertron. So I think they probably could take them, but they're a bit nervous. Fortunately, Skyfire arrives with reinforcements uh, and it's good reinforcements. It's Brawn. Hey. 
Brawn and Wheeljack with his slave deprogramming device. And he immediately frees all the human slaves who suddenly wake up and then go, oh, crap, where the hell are we? And run. And we are deprived of them all realising that they're all stuck on a tropical island now. (laughs) With no memory of how they got there uh, (laughs) or what they were doing and no idea how they're going to get off again. Presumably at some point the Autobots will take them away, but they've got bigger things to deal with at the moment. Rumble attacks Bumblebee with an earthquake as the Autobots move in. He gets his pile drivers out, uh, the most effective weapon that any Transformer has. Indeed, and the most commonly used weapon that any Transformer has that actually has any significant effect. (laughs) Exactly. Bumblebee's had enough of this, though, because he got trapped in an earthquake last week that wasn't even one that Rumble had made. So he's And he literally says, not again. And he tarzans his way out of it because there's swinging vines overhead and he's able to escape. And not only that, not only that, he kicks Rumble into his own hole. That's, uh, that's the second, I think that's the second time that Rumble's ended up in a, or maybe the third time that Rumble's ended up in a hole. Yeah, um, I, I know Sludge got him at one Sludge point. Sludge got him. And then in a previous episode, the earthquake started before he'd even got his pile drivers ready and he fell in anyway. So he's like, I didn't do anything yet. <laughs> Uh, Optimus Prime and Megatron have a quick confrontation where they point at each other and say each other's names. Despite the fact that Megatron has a stonkingly huge cannon on his arm, still isn't able to take out Optimus Prime. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they have a a bit of an argument. Uh, Megatron points out that the Earth is about to be destroyed. And Prime says, that's your problem too. And Megatron says, no, I'm off to Cybertron with enough energy to rule forever. Very exciting. Yeah, it's not a great argument from Prime, really, is it? Because it's like, it's your problem true, Megatron. It's like, did you not see the spaceship? I've yeah. got a ship right here, just behind me. <laughs> what do you think I'm doing with that? <laughs> what do you think I'm doing with that? I'm off in it. See you later, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, so he leaves the other Decepticons behind, and they, 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 they can't believe Megatron is leaving them on the planet to die. But fortunately, half of them can turn into jets, and so they're able to make their escape. But it leaves the Autobots in a sad situation, a very sad situation. They are trapped on a tropical island. Megatron has effectively won. uh, And there's really no hope because Cybertron's about to tear the Earth apart. I mean, how? What hope is there, Jason? Well, none, clearly. But Spike doesn't believe that. And this is the second time that Spike has run in and tried to motivate a bunch of despondent Autobots. These Autobots are not really great, are they? Let's be honest here. They they tend to give up rather quickly. (laughs) Oh, oh, come on, come on. I I think they've got that heroicness to them. It just needs that little extra spark to get them started, doesn't it? An extra spike, in fact. An extra spike to get them started. So, and and what's Spike's strategy at this point? How does he think he can stop them? Uh, by picking up a massive gun and shooting at Megatron's ship. Yeah, I thought I thought he was trying to shoot. I thought he was trying to shoot at Cybertron. I thought he picked up Prime's gun and tried to shoot Cybertron out of orbit. That is also possible. Whatever, whatever he's doing, it's not going to work. Uh, Prowl points out that you'd need an explosion with 10 billion astroliters of energy, which is, that's got to be a lot, hasn't it? It's got to be a lot. And you can almost hear the ting of the light bulb going off above Prime's head when they realise, what if we blow up all the energon that Megatron's carrying? Yes. Do we know anyone who's just left Earth with 10 billion astroliters of energon cubes? 
I think we do. So all of the Autobots get their guns out and they they start shooting at Megatron's starship. Which is impressive in many ways because that must mean their weapons have an enormous range. It depends how quick Megatron's starship is. Maybe it takes a while to get into... Well, actually, okay... I'm starship would better be a lot closer to Cybertron than it is to Earth when it blows up. Because <laughs> it explodes with enough energy to knock a planet out of orbit. Indeed. Yeah. So the, the actual... Uh, at this point, physics stops working altogether. It does, yes. And, and all kinds of logic. Uh, but anyway, so what happens is they fire at Megatron's spaceship... And suddenly Megatron's in on spaceship. Oh no! And his spaceship explodes. And there's loads of dust and debris and tidal waves. And it's all going on. Uh, And it looks like it might be the end of the world. But Cybertron is moving out of Earth's orbit. Indeed it is. And immediately everything calms down on Earth. Yeah. Including a huge tidal wave that was heading towards them. Which just kind of goes, "Eh, No. (laughs) Uh, and because this is uh, a cartoon series of course we have to end the uh, episode uh, where they've just narrowly averted the total destruction of the earth uh, with a bit of comedy as bumblebee is disappointed that the tidal wave disappeared because he wanted to try out his boogie board yes and now he's never born yep Brawn and Bumblebee boogie boarding into the sunset would have been the perfect ending to the story, but sadly not to be. Not to be. No. Instead, we get the ominous ending that Megatron has miraculously survived being in the middle of an explosion big enough to knock a planet out of orbit. He does look a little bit the worse for wear, it has to be said. Um, And once again, I think for about the third time or fourth time this series, he swears that he shall be avenged. (laughs) <laughs> he'll definitely get avenged at some point his vengeance is coming and it's going to be brutal uh, it might take 20 years but it will happen I will be avenged alright so that's the end of the episode fantastic ultimate doom do I even have to ask you who the man of the match is for this episode well, you can, just for appearances' sake, but I think we both know it's Braun, isn't it? It's got to be Braun. By a million miles. By a million miles. He single-handedly takes out loads of Decepticons, runs straight through a door. Yeah. <laughs> what, what more do you want? Starts a bromance with Bumblebee. It's incredible. He's never put in this, this kind of showing before, so Braun has become one to watch at the end of The Ultimate Doom. Uh, okay, so what do we think of the three-parter as a whole? As a whole, yeah, I thought it was rather good, actually. And as I think I said on a previous episode, if you're going to talk about something as catastrophic as bringing Cybertron into Earth's orbit you and the effect it's going to have and global devastation, you can't do that in a single episode. It's got to be at least a two-parter. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, making it a three-parter does make it seem quite epic. Yeah, because you get um, you get loads. Of, so you get loads of cool stuff. So you get the you get three or four plot lines. Well, maybe two plot lines actually. Uh, you get Doctor Archville and his brain chips. You get Sparkplug being taken over. You get the the obvious thing of bringing Cybertron to Earth, and and it all actually meshes together reasonably well, because the whole brain chips and Cybertron thing could have been like two separate strands. But the fact that they're using the slaves to do building and uh, and Spike's got the personal vendetta to go to Cybertron and rescue his dad, 
um, means that the two storylines actually kind of mesh together and help each other. It's it's a good one, and yeah, as I said, the middle episode is mostly dealing with the devastation that's wrought by the bringing of Cybertron. But as you as we said, if if you're going to talk about that much devastation, you need to show it. It's a, it's 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 also interesting because it's a real low point for the Autobots when they are leaving the scene after they use the three cannons to bring Cybertron to Earth. Um, they seem really in a bad place, and it's interesting to see them go to go, go that far and push it that far because you'd have thought the way you'd the way you'd think to plot it out would be to have Cybertron brought to Earth at the end of Part Two as the big climax before the final resolution. But bringing it in at the end of part one is really cool because you've got two episodes to fill with Cybertron going around Earth and things getting progressively worse. So, yeah, so I enjoyed that very much. Good three-parter. But the story is not over. There is more to come. Can you believe it? Because there's one unresolved plot element here. Starscream and Dr. Arkerville took off just before the big fight with the Decepticons and then Megatron escaping. Where did they go? Tune in next time to find out. Or stay tuned because we're doing a double bill and we'll tell you in a minute. So events continue with episode 14 of the Transformers, Countdown to Extinction. That's a great title. What sort of things do you think you get in an episode called Countdown to Extinction? Well, oh, oh, that's a that's a difficult one. You're going to have to give me some time to think about that one. Uh, possibly a countdown, uh, maybe to something really big and and dangerous, like a like an extinction event. I, I'm I'm way outside the box there. I know, but you know. <laughs> I'm expecting at least one big explosion this week. So let's hope for that. Okay, <laughs> so. Absolutely, very unusually, for not being part four of The Ultimate Doom, but just being the continuing on episode, there's actually some follow-up to what happened last week. What are the Autobots up to? The Autobots are busy repairing the world, because Megatron's plan has left the world in ruins, and completely and totally in ruins, judging by the establishing shots. So naturally, a dozen giant robots are going to fix the entire world, but... uh, Rather rather bizarrely for this episode, he's left the world in ruins. There wasn't much sign of that level of destruction happening before. There were tidal waves and there were, you know, earthquakes and things, but we never saw anything happening in a major population centre or anything like that. And now we're seeing pictures of cities in ruins, and we don't see in this episode a single human apart from one will be name checked later even spike and spark plug aren't in this one i know yeah well they're obviously devastated after the events of last week um i'm particularly impressed by the autobots efforts to repair the earth which seems to consist of ironhide filling three potholes and wheeljack optimus and ratchet repairing an unidentified structure that could be a bridge but might not be could be, might not be. Let's be honest, we could do with Ironhide filling potholes these days. <laughs> yeah, he does a bit. It's it's an okay job. It's a bit of a botch job. They do look like the kind of potholes that are just going to reopen up the next winter when you get the freeze-thaw effect. They're trying. They're trying their best. Well, well, most of them are. Huffer just seems to be yelling at Gears for no very apparent reason. Yeah, it's not as if Gears is doing particularly much either. 
which is hugely rude. <laughs> Indeed, especially as Huffer is actually doing nothing at this yeah. point. <laughs> He's just standing there shouting, Oh, you, get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Lend a hand, Huffer. I know, I know you're carving a character for yourself that kids are going to love, that you're a moaner and so on and so forth. You're filling in your tech specs, but please just contribute something. <laughs> So the Autobots make their efforts, and uh, that's it. The Earth is fixed. Well done, Autobots. Apparently so. But they're not the only ones repairing stuff, because, as we may recall from Ultimate Doom Part 2, Megatron's plan had an unfortunate side effect of pretty much trashing the Decepticon headquarters. So they're trying to repair it. But, of course, being Decepticons, all they can do is argue. Yeah, it's interesting. And this is something I really like, is that without Megatron there... They all fall about and just start arguing among themselves. So uh, Skywarp hits Rumble. Thundercracker complains about how much damage they've got to repair. And Soundwave gets to say, look who's talking, Thundercracker. Which, in Soundwave's voice, sounds utterly bizarre. It does, yes. <laughs> it sounds really, really strange. But then comes a little moment that has divided Transformers fans for decades and continues to do so because up pops Frenzy for the first time. Now, Rumble and Frenzy are, according to their bios and their character toys and everything like that, they are brothers. Yep. They're two cassettes. They're identical except for their colours because, as everybody knows, Rumble is red and Frenzy is blue. If you or say so. is it the other way around? Uh, I've forgotten. <laughs> I've, I've outright forgotten at this point. Well, in the toys, in the original Generation 1 toy line and the various other media that accompanied them, the comics, the Ladybird books or whatever, all these other bits that went with it, Rumble is the red one. And in fact, I looked, I even looked this up on TF Wiki. In fact, in the original plans for the cartoon series, Rumble was described as the red one, but somehow, somewhere it got switched around and Rumble got made blue. Okay, fair enough. And now Frenzy is the red one. Yes. And this this has this has rumbled on for decades, and in various different media they switch color schemes, and there are people who will argue about it indefinitely. Yes, and and uh, seeing as you said it's rumbled on for decades, can I add people talk about it in a very frenzied way? Absolutely, absolutely, good. they do. Okay, yes. good. Right. Well, I think we've just lost our last listener. Yes. <laughs> My concern is Frenzy hasn't been seen before and he appears to be in a hole in the spaceship. So I think he's just been trapped in the spaceship hull for the past four, uh, 13 episodes and because he's got a great attack. He could be just as useful as Rumble and they, they could do like really cool electricity effects and zapping Autobots. But we I don't think, do we get to see it coming up? Uh, no, this is the only thing we see of Frenzy in this episode. And I think he does pop up in later ones. But when he does have a special power, he also has pile drivers like Rumble. Sad, isn't it? Sad. You've got your special power. And it's just somebody else's special power that you've borrowed because they Indeed. borrowed your colour. Um, anyway, our frenzy, he doesn't want to do geeky work. This is, uh, again, using geeky as a very, uh, very bad term. Geek works made for a geek like you, claims Thundercracker. And then there's another punch up. And it all looks like it's going to pop for the Decepticons. But then somebody comes back through that door. It's Dad. <laughs> yeah, Dad comes to kick the kids into order again. Megatron walks in and everyone is amazed that he's still alive. 
And frankly, everyone should be amazed that he's still alive because he was in the middle of an explosion, I'll say it again, powerful enough to knock a planet out of orbit and somehow appears to have escaped unscathed. As his usual excuse, I'm indestructible. And on those grounds, yep, he definitely is. It certainly seems that way. So after abandoning all the Decepticons and having big punch up with an Autobots, the top of his list, the the number one thing on his to-do list to do, is his unfinished business with uh, Dr. Arkaville, a human who you may remember from the previous episode who didn't actually do much to Megatron, really? I don't know. But he finds out that Dr. Arkaville has run off with someone. Yep, Dr. Arkaville and Starscream have run off together and I hope they're very happy in their new life. Amazing. What a pair. They've eloped together. They have indeed, but Megatron does not like that. He does not like that at all. He definitely doesn't like that. That is one of the main things in life he doesn't like. Uh, So Laserbeak turns up out of nowhere to reveal the news that we've just heard that uh, Starscream and Arkaville have turned up and that they've gone to Dr. Arkaville's secret lab. So Megatron and co immediately fly off to somewhere where Dr. Arkaville's secret lab that nobody knows about is. Yes. Doesn't seem very secret, this lab, really. No, this is a big problem with the episode, and it could have literally been... I mean, like we could have had a cool episode of them trying to find Dr. Arkaville's lab. It could have been a huge plot point. Or they could have just said Dr. Arkaville's Nebraska lab, which would have been absolutely fine. The Autobots are repairing Teletran 1. Okay, so scratch what I said the previous episode about Teletran 1 helping them find the Decepticons. Uh, and they've got a message coming in clear. Megatron is back. And Prime says, we can't let him regroup with the other Decepticons. Which is a rather odd thing to say, given that the picture on Teletran 1 clearly shows Megatron and the other Decepticons all together. So, yeah, I don't know. I, are there other, other, other Decepticons? Is there another group of Decepticons they might regroup with? There could be. Well, Cybertron is nearby still, because although it's been knocked out of Earth's orbit, as we will see later on, it must still very much be a part of the solar system. So we have Dr. Arkaville and Starscream, which is now actually my favourite team-up that we've had so far on the show. They make a great couple. If you could fill Energon cubes with sarcasm, you'd have enough to knock Cybertron out of orbit 30 seconds with these two. <laughs> Dr. Arkaville has a very special cave entrance that he shows to Starscream. Uh, how do you get into Dr. Arkaville's cave? With a voice command. I, Dr. Arkeville, genius of science, say, open sesame. (laughs) How original, as Starscream observes. Yeah, uh, which is actually, that's really good, because I think that's exactly the point where the audience are going to be saying, oh yeah, open sesame, that's a bit pat, isn't it? And for Starscream to take the mickey out of him for doing it, is, is, I think that's a really nice little touch. Yeah, I do like that. This is this is Starscream's episode. Oh yeah. This, oh yeah. This is Starscream. <laughs> so uh, so he's not happy with uh, Doctor Arkville wasting his time, and he wrenches the door off and throws it away to show what a big baddie he is. And they go into Doctor Arkville's lab, and Starscream's very excited to find that Doctor Arkville has built an exponential generator, which could generate enough energy to do what? To power Cybertron for ever to it's amazing really that he didn't mention this before because all this stuff about hypno chips in the last two episodes and it's like oh megatron you want energy oh that's what you well actually i've got some of that 
and he's created basically he's created the holy grail of of science basically there's this generator that can just power everything yeah. and is about the size of a large capri's easter egg <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't seem to be using it for anything it's powering his laboratory which is remarkable for a lone mad scientist it has to be said uh, yeah, and like his laboratory, there's nothing, there doesn't seem to be much else in his laboratory. I mean, obviously, he's put the exponential generator next to his perpetual motion machines and various other paraphernalia that people have been looking to invent for forever. Oh, yeah, obviously. Um, okay, all right. I, 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 I just want to hear your answer to this. How do you think the exponential generator works? It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I know that would be your answer? <laughs> it works by the use of various things like oh, phlebotanum, unobtainium, <laughs> and other classic com- classic materials that are used to generate energy out of nothing. All my top favourite elements. I'm sure zanium's in there as well. Terranium. Terranium. That's terranium. what it is. It's, it's a terranium device. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it definitely is. So, uh, meanwhile, there's something going on with the Autobots and Decepticons. We're not going to worry about that because we're straight back into uh, Starscream and Dr. Arkville. And Starscream uh, has the, you know, he tops Dr. Arkville's genius by building a timing device, which will ramp up the exponential generator to infinite capacity. You know what my favorite thing about that whole business is? That Starscream puts the finishing touches to his timing device with a screwdriver. (laughs) A transformer-sized screwdriver. <laughs> I missed was that. Was that just lying around in the lab, or did he have it in a pocket somewhere? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's entirely possible he was carrying it with him. Maybe a whole tool set tucked away in the pocket dimension that all the bits of transformers that vanish when they transform go to. And Starscream then does the smartest thing that we've seen him do, which is he builds his timer and he places it out of Dr. Archival's reach, high on a wall. He's obviously noticed that Dr. Arkville has no ladders in his laboratory, so there is literally no way Dr. Arkville can reprogram this timer. Absolute genius. It is. It's fantastic. It does raise the question why Dr. Arkville's lab is so bloody huge if he can't get to most of it. But, <laughs> but there we go. It's, the, it's, it's these contractors again. They come in and they just scaled everything. I think it's the old inches, centimetres thing. You know, they, they said centimetres on the plans and they built everything to inches and it's just... Eight times two, no, three times, two times two. Oh, God, never mind. Dr. Arkerville's not happy about this because Dr. Arkerville wanted to rule the world. He didn't want to destroy the world, in which case it was probably a bit short-sighted room to build a device that if somebody tampered with it could, in fact, destroy the world. Um, <laughs> you'd think he'd tone its power down a bit or something. Starscream's second most intelligent thing that he does is he sets a countdown for a decent amount of time and then decides that they're going to go away. <laughs> because if everything's going to blow up in a few hours, he doesn't want to be anywhere near it when it happens. Exactly. As far as he as far as he's concerned, nobody knows he's there. Nobody knows he's set this timer. He's given it eight hours, which is plenty of time to get back to Cybertron and live happily ever after. What that that's that's a fine planning from Starscream. Well done. Well, absolutely. This is Dr. Arkerville's secret lab. I mean, who could find it in eight hours? <laughs> Nobody. Really? Nobody knows where it is. It's a total secret. Um, <laughs> I, and so, yeah, so he kidnaps, effectively kidnaps Dr. Arkerville and they head off to, to Cybertron together. Forget the rest of the episode. I want 10 minutes of Dr. Arkerville and Starscream 
flying to Cybertron together and to just to hear what they would talk about, uh, maybe <laughs> a two-hour flight, I think it would just be incredible. So yeah, so they head to Cybertron. And another odd thing about this episode is that it keeps sort of like fading to black. And you think, okay, this is the end of the scene. It's cut this scene. We're going to cut back to somebody else. But every time it cuts back, it cuts back to Dr. Arkville and Starscream again, as if nobody's, <laughs> nobody else is of any interest. Uh, we do actually see a bit of Arkville on Starscream and he implores uh, Starscream not to destroy the Earth. But Starscream wants to be Lord Starscream, tyrant of the firmament. And of course, when Earth explodes, it will provide limitless energy. The pedant in me is going to point out that it's going to provide enough energy that a planet exploding, there's a finite amount of energy there, surely. Unless, of course, Dr. Arkerville's generator is capable of generating limitless energy, in which case, wouldn't you be better off just taking it to Cybertron and using it? Hmm. Take it to Cybertron, plug it in. Why, why destroy the Earth? You know, just... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go at my own uh, astro astronomy effort here and say you know if you just look Earth right look at Earth and then just look just past it that big glowy ball over there in the distance <laughs> there might be a little bit of energy over there you could harness okay but don't tell anyone I told you what just because there is a multi-trillion ton unshielded nuclear fusion reactor out there in space. A mere 93 million miles away. You reckon that's a viable energy source? Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> the trouble is collecting it. Yes, but you, of course you could throw the Earth into the sun and the uh, sun wouldn't even cough, would it? No, it no. would not. It, it certainly wouldn't. Um, or you could do what humans have been doing for a long time and just stick a bunch of solar panels on Cybertron. Yep, that would be a very good idea. Mm. Ah, but in order to build a solar panel, you need certain elements which may not exist on Cybertron, but actually there's a ton of ways you could harvest the energy of the sun, isn't there? There's a ton of ways you could harvest that energy, yes. Yeah, you just have to be <laughs> kind of near it. Okay, anyway, let's cut back to a bunch of guys who we don't care about. They're called the Autobots. And they demonstrate another bit of Prime's duff leadership or rank in subordination, if you like. Uh, because Okay, so the Jets knock some rocks down and bury Bumblebee. They miss the rest of the convoy, but they bury Bumblebee. Not exactly a stunning victory. Optimus Prime orders a halt and gets Brawn to dig Bumblebee out. See, Brawn and Bumblebee, see? Still, yeah. still, still like, you know, still like that. And then he says, ah, the rest of you, transform and take cover. And Wheeljack says, now nah, sod that, I want to fight. Yep. And so they fight. <laughs> yeah, Wheeljack kicks it all off. But he does use his super missile. Yeah, it fires right at... Because he's got that missile on his shoulder, the big sort of grey missile. And sometimes it fires a laser from the tip. And sometimes, I like this time, the whole missile goes off, uh, which is great to see. Uh, I'm sure there's a good reason for that happening. Um, I'm sure there is. But then the Megatron decides, OK, we're going to land and attack. And another one of these moments happens with Prime and Megatron. Megatron appears behind Prime... With a clear, unobstructed shot, is pointing his cannon right at Prime's head, and then just jumps on his back, and they have a fist fight. <laughs> what? <laughs> it could have been. It could have been over so quickly, couldn't it? I, I. There is obviously some reason. Some reason why they why they're not killing each other at this point. Mainly because I think Megatron's weapon, from what we've seen so far, whenever he hits someone with it, it just hurts their shoulder. I mean, even I mean, I'm even gonna I'm gonna spoiler alert. I'm gonna skip forward. Even in Transformers the movie, when they have that big epic fight, 
he loses that cannon and doesn't actually get to use it. So it's just like, why have you even got it? (laughs) If that had been the one time he scored a square hit on Optimus Prime in the movie, that would have been a worthwhile reason for him to get bumped off. Anyway, okay, we'll get to that one day. One I'm day. Sure. One but day. in the meantime, Prime just picks Megatron up and throws him into a lake. <laughs> Splash. <laughs> Is enough for Megatron to signal a retreat? Well, it's very embarrassing. Uh, he decides that the Autobots are too hero programmed to know when to quit. That's not a very good reason to retreat, but they also. I think he kind of remembered that they could just fly off and leave them behind, and the Autobots would be unlikely to be able to catch them up. Yes, although they have already caught them up once. How fast can those Autobots drive that they can catch a bunch of flying Decepticons and jets? <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how fast a, get, a jet goes, but I think it's in the realm of, I think it's over 180 miles an hour, which is probably in excess of the US speed limit. Yes, I mean, your average jet, I mean, that, that's an F-15, and I believe they're capable of going supersonic. Oh, do you know how <laughs> fast that is? That's about 800 miles per hour. 800 miles per hour. <laughs> I don't think anything driving along the ground is going to catch you up 800 miles an hour. Especially as you can drive in a straight, you can you can fly in a straight line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, that said, I would love to see the animation of Optimus Prime driving at 800 miles per hour through the countryside. I would <laughs> love to see that. We cut back to the interesting thing that's going on, which is uh, Starscream. Starscream is meeting up with Shockwave, good old Shockwave, guardian of Cybertron. Yeah. Greets him quite politely, really, all things considered. Greeting Shockwave. Yeah. Shockwave isn't pleased to see Dr. Arkville. He's not pleased at all and says that Dr. Arkville may not enter, which is entirely in character because every time, every time a human's been to Cybertron, they've got past Shockwave, they've embarrassed him. He's clearly had enough of humans by this point. Yes, so it would seem, but you know, it's all to no avail because Starscream has a big badge that he flashes to show he's the leader of the Decepticons now. <laughs> the badge was not made available in the stores, and that's just distressing because I would love to have a badge like that. Yeah, Starscream declares himself leader of the Decepticons, and Shockwave sounds absolutely distraught at this. He's in tears almost. Megatron's indestructible. But Megatron is indestructible! Oh, and I haven't been able to contact him due to interference. Oh. And I assure you I will keep trying. Honest, (laughs) I will. He's He's got such a love for Megatron. It's beautiful to see. Starscream orders him not to contact Earth anymore, which must have been really heart-rending. You know, your your loved one's out there. You don't know if they're alive or dead. You haven't been able to get through. And this guy's just come in and told you that you cannot even phone them. Let's not forget, this is Shockwave, the same Shockwave who spent four million years trying to contact Megatron before. (laughs) And now Megatron's gone again. I mean, he spent (laughs) four million years waiting for Megatron and he's lost Megatron again. It's just... Poor old Shockwave, which I can only assume that he's being absolutely distraught by this, is the explanation for why Shockwave capitulates to Starscream. Shockwave, who has a gun in place of one of his hands and transforms into a giant gun, Mm -hmm. just says, yes, Commander Starscream, rather than, nah, sod off, I'm going to keep trying, zap. (laughs) You know, I I was thinking that uh, when Shockwave was trying to phone Megatron, for four million years, 
he might have been getting the the out of office message, or he might have just been getting the line, uh, oh, "You have tried to contract Megatron on Earth. Your call is very important to us. Please hold." And just sat there listening to that for four million years, determined to beat the system. The Decepticon tyrant you are calling is currently unavailable, but your call is important to him. <laughs> hey. So yes, so uh, Starscream prepares to capture the energy of Earth's destruction. And Arkaville would be the last human being alive after the Earth is destroyed. Unless anybody else has snuck onto Cybertron in the meantime, which seems entirely likely. It seems possible. Also gives us a handy little time reference because he says it's about three hours to go. So it's about five hours since they left the lab. And this is why Cybertron is very much still in the Earth's solar system, because it only took Starscream a few hours to get from Earth to Cybertron. Okay, 800 miles an hour, five hours. That's only about 4,000 miles. 4,000 miles, yeah. However, I think we have to assume that once outside of the atmosphere, Starscream is capable of significantly faster flight. We would have to hope. He's already demonstrated. I mean, he and Skyfire went from Cybertron to Earth before Cybertron was anywhere near Earth's solar system, apparently. So, Yeah. Okay, I'll ask you another question then, because I know you'll know the answer. How far away is the moon? The moon is approximately 400,000 kilometres away. That's not in miles. That means nothing. About 250,000 miles. It takes light 1.3 seconds to get from Earth to the moon. That really is far away. Which is why when you look at the, uh, the TV footage of the astronauts in the Apollo missions on the moon, there's a delay between people on Earth talking and people on the moon responding. And sometimes you even pick up the person on Earth's words broadcast back over their microphone so it's really bizarre so yes the moon is is 1.3 light seconds away yes okay so a uh, cybertron has to be further away than that otherwise we'd still be in trouble we'd still be in a lot of trouble if it wasn't yeah. if it was closer than that yes yeah but dr archerville's in trouble isn't he he is yes because he can't stop starscream from destroying the earth but he can stop him from harvesting the energy ha 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 that'll show him oh dear there seems to be some kind of sentry monitor on this which is going to zap me into oblivion Yes, he gets electro-zapped when he tries to fix the computer. And Starscream points out that only a Decepticon can touch the controls when the sentry monitor is on. That's so useful and so brilliant. And so we're not going to hear anything like that happening in any future episode, aren't we? (laughs) Absolutely not. That's far too useful a capability to be (laughs) retained. (laughs) That was getting in the way of far too many other plots later on. Exactly. So yeah, so Megatron on Earth is, they're still flying off towards Dr. Arkville's lab and we're like 10 minutes in now. They still haven't got there. So I don't know what they're doing, but Megatron decides to change course to the Valley of No Return. I, this is another example of the Decepticons doing really good research into what's going on on Earth because they found out about the ruby crystals of Burma. They found out about that, wherever it was in Fire of the Mountain with the Legend of the Incas. They just seem to know their whereabouts better than the Autobots. And that's sad because the Autobots have Sparkplug and Spike to help them assimilate into Earth's culture. And the Autobots don't know where they are, clearly. <laughs> Decepticons knew, or Megatron knows, the Valley of No Return is there. The Autobots clearly do not. Yes, because the Autobots chase them right into it. And why is it called the Valley of No Return? Because anyone who goes there comes back unscathed quite happily <laughs> because it appears to be a patch of quicksand 
just really large enough for all of the Autobots to drive over it before they start sinking into it. Yes, they, they start to sink straight away, which is bad news for the Autobots. Uh, and they transform, but that only slows down their sinking. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> no, well, this is this is classic cartoons quicksand in that it's sand that you just sink in until it's over your head. Yeah. Um, quicksand is a real thing. It's nothing like that. Lovely. So the Autobots are in the quicksand and they are in trouble. So I, I've always been told that if you're in quicksand, you lie on your back so you sink more slowly. That probably doesn't work, does it? If you're in quicksand and you lie on your back, you will float. Ah. Because quicksand is is sand that has been suspended in water so that the particles can slide over each other and you will float quite happily in water so if you're in quicksand you won't go under the sand you won't keep sinking until you go but you can drown in it because it is sand and water and you can find yourself trapped which obviously leads you to ending up potentially if you're in the desert like the autobots are dying of exposure so firstly they're made of metal they're probably a bit heavier than humans so they start sinking fairly quickly but there is also the question of like They'll just be stuck there for a bit and they'll probably be able to escape at some point. But never mind. The the Autobots are essentially sunk uh, and they're slowly sinking out of sight. And Megatron decides that he's going to watch them for a minute and then he's going to head off. But fortunately, he's not completely stupid because he leaves a Decepticon behind to keep an eye on them and to make sure that they can't escape. And the Decepticon he chooses for this important mission is Laserbeak. Which, in retrospect was the daftest thing he could have done. Yes. I think every Decepticon would have been a better choice than Laserbeak, but never mind. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so they, the Decepticons all fly off, and in about three seconds, Laserbeak gets shot by Mirage, and shooting him causes him to turn into a tape, which Jazz promptly catches. And then Ironhide gets an arm free and sends a jet of super cool nitrogen over the quicksand, uh, which would work. Yep. Because, as I said, quicksand is sand and water. So it would certainly freeze. Why it doesn't also freeze the Autobots, I have no idea. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Autobots are, are able to dig their way out. Obviously, you wouldn't recommend using liquid nitrogen if you were trapped in quicksand, because the liquid nitrogen would probably be more harmful to you than anything the quicksand could do to you. Quite apart from anything else, it would produce a huge blanket of nitrogen gas. Which, you know, would finish you off pretty quickly. But obviously these are Autobots. They don't need oxygen. They're all fine. I, I love that. That's a really cool fact. I would not have thought of that. Liquid nitrogen turns into light nitrogen gas. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> of course it does. It's not just this magic powder that turns things into brittle, uh, crumbly stuff. It's amazing stuff. I used to work with it. Um, and I used to use it when I was uh, in one of my previous jobs. Um, and it is, it's fantastic stuff, it really is. But the safety precautions require you to put the dewer of liquid nitrogen in the lift, press the button, and then go up the stairs to meet it at the top. You should not ride a lift with the liquid nitrogen in case it escapes. Okay, yes, because you would not make it to the end of your journey, would you? No, the lift doors would open and you would promptly fall out dead. So, <laughs> Very dangerous, great fun. Ironhide's got a ton of it just caught in his arm there. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. But that's okay, because they all escape and it's all fine. And and Jazz turns into a car so they can play back the cassette of Laserbeak and find out what's number one on the Decepticon charts. Which is, I, the crime says, as I believe the Earthlings say, lay it on me, man. <laughs> yes, I've never said that when putting on a cassette tape. I presume that everyone 
listening to this will be our age and will know what. Oh, oh God, we don't. No, it's too late to explain cassette tapes now. It's too late. You'll all have seen the meme. You know, if you know the relationship between a cassette tape and a pencil, you are of a certain age. So, <laughs> good. I, mental note: Do not try to explain cassette tapes again. <laughs> okay, uh, but I can explain that the uh, Laserbeak playback reveals that the Decepticons are heading to Doctor Arkerville's secret lab. So the Autobots decide to head there too. It doesn't say at any point where the secret lab is. Everyone just knows. Not only does everyone know, what's also bizarre, thinking back over the ultimate doom, all three parts, is that the Autobots at no point ever actually met Dr. Arkerville. <laughs> oh, yeah. And as far as they know, it's the Decepticons that were responsible for the mind control slaves. <laughs> <laughs> they never encountered this Dr. Arkerville chap. So no one says, who the hell is this guy and where is his secret lab? They just go, ah, oh, that's where we're going. <laughs> there's definitely I think I mentioned before there's definitely a missing episode where Dr. Arkerville had a secret lab ended up teaming with the Decepticons but they know exactly where to go so it's fine um, and there's a really cool transformation sequence where we get a nice panning shot across Bumblebee Gears Cliff Jumper Prowl and Ratchet and Ironhide and we see them all transforming and it's really true to the way the toys transform so you see the hands coming out in the right place and you can see the, uh, the sort of the back sections landing on uh, Ratchet and Ironhide exactly the way the toys do. I love that kind of thing. That's one of the reasons why I watch Transformers. The transformation sequences are always usually pretty well done and most interestingly don't always resort to stock footage of the same transformation all the time. There are a couple of classic yeah. reused ones. Yeah, we've already had the, the Optimus Prime one a couple of times this episode where he sort of yeah. leans forward and turns into the truck. But that's fine because it's a it's a lovely one to watch again and again. It is. I mean, Prime's transformation in particular is very true to how the toy transforms. We uh, cut to Megatron and Megatron has found the lab. He's found the exponential generator and he knows what it is already. Yes, you'd have thought he might have wanted to go and get it earlier. <laughs> he knows what it is, but there we go. Jason, this is this is muscular storytelling. This is not worrying about the details. This is just leading you to the next plot point. That's what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, so apparently the exponential, exponential generator is the source of ultimate power. If it can generate infinite energy, then yes, it is the source of ultimate power. He's very excited to see it because we actually see the sparks in the core of the generator reflected in his eyes in a sort of very cool effect. Yes. He even goes into sort of reverie about it. Like, Your destiny is to serve me, my potent beauty. <laughs> oh, do you guys want to be alone? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've never shown me your exponential generator before. Ooh. But there's very little time, very little time for Megatron and the exponential generator to get a room because Rumble has spotted that the Autobots are on their way. But that's impossible because they were doomed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you flew off before they were actually dead you know they weren't gonna just kiss <laughs> um wasn't it uh, um in one of the austin powers movies you know do you want to kill them no no i shall simply assume that everything worked perfectly and that they died it's okay but we've got a gun we can shoot them right now no 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 it's all good <laughs> transformers is the king of that trope that is where it comes from i'm sure sure transformers invented it 
I mean, it's amazing, really, that they didn't get sealed in a cave. <laughs> yeah, they usually get sealed in a cave. Um, so this is brilliant. I love this next bit. So all of the Decepticons step outside into this vast open landscape. <laughs> They're all standing there. You can see for miles around, where are the Autobots? They look left, they look right, and from out of nowhere, Optimus Prime's fist appears and gives Megatron a huge undercut as he says, hello again, Megatron. He was hiding, I've got this, he was hiding in the same place that his trailer goes, obviously. That's the only explanation. <laughs> and he punches Megatron so hard, Megatron flies up the cliff. Yep, yep, flies off again for the second time. Um, picks up a rock and says, have a ton of fun, and hurls it at Optimus Prime, who ducks, and poor old Rumble gets the rock in the face, much to Prime's amusement. Oh, we love to see these guys fighting. There's always something inventive going on. There's always something weird and inexplicable. It's it's fantastic. Prime thinks Rumble being hit by the rock is hilarious, uh, so Megatron probably shoots him. In fairness to Prime, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you start picking on the little guys and... Uh, the only option is to shoot you. So, uh, yeah, but that's, that's who cares what's going on with that? Because we cut back to Cybertron immediately where Starscream has uh, done, he's done a good deed for a change. And he's done a little bit of surgery on Dr. Arkerville with his Medicroids to fix him. So, uh, so how does a Dr. Arkerville look after his surgery? Uh, a mechanical freak to use his own terms. Uh, because he basically, basically he looks like a Borg now. More machine than man now. He's more machine than... If, like me, you were traumatised by the end of Superman 3, this is pretty much the same thing. It's extreme <laughs> body horror. He's been... Robbed, and he's not happy about it. He is He is absolutely distraught. Not only is he a mechanical freak, he's also immobile. Yeah. So, uh, bad day to be Dr. Arkerville. Prime stands in front of the exponential generator back on Earth as a cover, because he knows Megatron loves it so much. And he says, you won't risk hitting this... And Megatron makes a wild boast. He claims that he always hits what he aims for. Yes, the evidence isn't really on his side on that one, is it? <laughs> yeah, but when you're the leader of the Decepticons, you've got to keep your front up. You've got to, got to reassure people that you do actually always hit what you aim for. And if you miss, it wasn't your fault. Spike distracted him. Rumble got in the way. Whatever. Prime has realised something. He's realised that the exponential generator is unstable. Uh, and they haven't got much time left on the clock. In fact, they've got 60 seconds. Shockwave, rather unnecessarily, uh, calls uh, Megatron on the nipple phone. Or I said it was the nipple phone before, but actually it's more sort of his collarbone that lights up. <laughs> but yeah, nipple phone is high. funnier, though. Yes, it is, <laughs> definitely. Um, and uh, Megatron basically blows him off. So, of course I'm functional. I'm fine. Call me back Call later, back darling. Later. I'm busy. I'm busy. <laughs> So after all this time trying to phone Megatron, it still doesn't end well for Shockwave. Shockwave does an important thing. He explains the plot. Well, they both are horrified and realise there must be a timing mechanism somewhere and they both look for it because as much as Optimus Prime and Megatron are enemies of millions of years standing, if they both happen to be standing somewhere that's about to blow up, they've got bigger problems to deal with than their own personal issues. So... Exactly. They become unlikely allies looking for the timing mechanism. Fortunately, Starscream has made the timing mechanism so big and with a huge countdown display on it that it doesn't take them long to find it. And Megatron brings all his technical expertise to bear and disconnecting it safely by ripping it off the wall. Yeah, this could have been a very different episode. And this could have been the end of the Transformers if Starscream had just put the timer in a cupboard. 
Yes, indeed. Or just not put a big countdown display on it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the classic thing. All these, all these countdowns in bombs and devices everywhere in TVs and movies and cartoons, they all have sodding great displays on them telling you how long you've got. And they always finish at about one. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so uh, they rip it from the wall. And Shockwave explains that Starscream was the one who betrayed them. He's the one who set up the timer. And Megatron claims that when he gets his hands on that traitor, his catalytic data assembly is mine. Whatever that means. The timer has been deactivated. And we cut back to Cybertron. Starscream is looking a little bit peeved because the countdown has come to an end and the Earth did not blow up. And then he figures there must have been a malfunction in the timing device. And he says... Dr. Archiville should go back to Earth. And as Archiville says, how am I supposed to get there? On my roller skates? <laughs> yeah, uh, Dr. Archiville's stuck in a robot wheelchair and he can't. He's like, he is not the best person to go to Earth. The best person to go to Earth is probably Starscream himself, to be honest. Well, as Starscream is the only one who knows how the timing device works, and therefore, if it has indeed malfunctioned, the only one who could fix it, he is certainly the one to go. But we should just take a moment to acknowledge that this is the last we see of Dr. Archiville in this episode, and indeed, ever again. So what do we think happened to him on Cybertron? All I can imagine, like, as, as an evil character, as a villain who betrayed his own people and tried to rule the Earth, he deserves to have, like, a, a, you know, a bad fate at the end. Um, what he does not deserve, and I don't think any human being alive deserves, is to be turned into a mechanical monster and to live out the rest of your days, which, given that they have Metacroids, could be a lot longer than the standard human lifespan, on Cybertron, a planet where your only company is Shockwave, uh, some odd-looking jets, and some people who look like Reflector. It's, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? It is. But I strongly suspect that once Starscream was out of the picture, Shockwave just shot him. <laughs> It was probably very cathartic for Shockwave because he's missed so many opportunities to shoot humans. He has. They've all run past him. And he's finally got an immobile one there. You can just say, goodbye, Dr. Archerville. Probably still missed. (laughs) More than likely. So yeah, so we cut back to Earth again because there's one final thing that's going wrong. Megatron's trying to deactivate the exponential generator. Uh, It's a thing of such awesome power that it's melted his casing. Uh, he's got a great big hole in his chest. But never mind, he'll reduce temperature soon enough. Uh, Prime wrestles it out of his hand, and because the exponential generator is rugby ball shaped, they start throwing it about, Amer- sorry, American football sh- ball shaped. They start chucking <laughs> it about a bit. And uh, as it lands on the ground, suddenly it goes critical. And it's going to explode. And this explosion will result in the destruction of the Earth again. Indeed, but it's not going to explode there if Megatron can help it. Yeah. And Megatron picks it up, runs out the door, Prime runs after him, and I, I particularly like this moment. Megatron says, there's no time to argue, hold this while I transform, turns into a gun, gets Prime to load the exponential generator with his barrel, and fires it into space. No time to argue, Prime! Take this while I transform! Now load me! Fire! Oh yeah. There is something so great about seeing Optimus Prime and Megatron teaming up to the point where Megatron lets Optimus Prime use him as a gun. That is 
awesome. The, the only time in the whole thing, I think, where Optimus Prime gets to fire Megatron. <laughs> well, I, I rather like that thing in, in, in TV shows, in film series, in, in cartoons and whatever. I like those moments that don't come off them, but with those moments when people who are normally antagonistic for whatever reason are briefly united on the same side for something, whether it's because in the case of some of these things, like there's a bigger danger that they've got to work together to solve or whether it's just a silly little moment of understanding that passes between them because something else has happened. So yeah, this is why I, I like this episode, even though the rest of it is not great. I mean, it's not the strongest of episodes with the plotting and everything else, especially considering what we've just come from. Um, come on. Well, there's still a little bit to go before we venture our opinions. So uh, the exponential generator explodes in the vastness of space and uh, knocks Starscream down to Earth, where Megatron gives him a big welcome. And conveniently, Starscream lands just next to where Optimus Prime and Megatron were standing. And Megatron is so pleased to see Starscream that he forgets about any other fight that he might have with the Autobots and just grabs Starscream and flies off with him. Yeah, yeah. I, he forgets that last episode he was uh, on the books for Mutiny, which uh, the penalty is termination. He says, uh, he says, welcome home, noble Voyager. Oh, dripping with sarcasm. <laughs> The way he says it is delicious. <laughs> and then we have a, a little a little bit at the end uh, where the Autobots have a good laugh about Megatron punishing Starscream. Not the best look, but never mind. They've had they've had a rough couple of weeks, to be honest. So I think I'll let them off for this one. Yeah, well, they're having a bit of a laugh. But yeah, of course, we've seen the last of old Starcreep. All right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you have. It's very unusual they see the last of anyone, particularly in this first series. Good. Right. Again, very clear man of the match. It's got to be Starscream. There's not really a case for anyone else, is there? I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Oh, oh. I'm going to say the, ma the men of the match in this one are Optimus Prime and Megatron for putting aside their differences for that moment that was needed to save the Earth together. You've double teamed it. Because I was going to nominate Starscream on the grounds that he had actually had a better plan than Megatron did last week, which for a second in command is not bad going. And he nearly he nearly got away with it too. If only Dr. Arkville's secret lab had been an actual secret location, um, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been all over. But, uh, but actually, I think yours might be better because Megatron and Optimus Prime teaming up <sighs> takes a lot of guts. I, I can't fault your argument for Starscream, I have to admit. He does have a good plan, and it would have worked. It would have worked if he'd kept Dr. Archibald's lab's secret location secret. It would have worked if he'd managed to keep an eye on Shockwave so that he didn't wander out and stop and radio Megatron to tell him about it. So, yeah. It only, fa it only failed on about three or four points, but it was pretty good to start with. There we go. Yeah. As, as a first draft plan goes, it was all right. Yes. <laughs> So, so I, I enjoyed, I, again, yeah, plotting-wise, it's not up to much. There's a lot of nonsensical stuff in it, but I really enjoyed the Dr. Arkaville Starscream dynamic. And because I love Starscream so much, that, that was a real highlight for me. Uh, and to be honest, the other stuff I'm not not that worried about. And I think it is disappointing that Arkaville is, uh, is forgotten about after this episode because he could have been quite an interesting ongoing villain. It probably has nothing to do with it, but I'm going to suggest it anyway. It might have been that they didn't want to go down that road because a certain other Transforming Robots cartoon had an evil villain human scientist that would team up with the bad guys quite a bit. 
Um, and they probably didn't want to go down that road with this one as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the start. This was Starscream's episode for sure, and the rest of it was basically just the Autobots and Decepticons killing time until they arrived at the bit at the end, so that they could you know, just just wrap the plot up. That's about that for that. Next week, Insecticons, Constructicons, Devastation. Don't miss it. There's a lot to come. There's a lot there to, come. A lot to come. And there is some fantastic stuff ahead. So there's a lot to pack in. So yeah. So thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Stephen Alexander, co-hosting with Jason Thompson. We'll be back next week with another action-packed double bill. But until then, try not to have nightmares about being kidnapped by a robot jet, electrocuted by an alien machine, and having your shattered body replaced by grotesque mechanical parts. Please try. Sleep well, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you.